Welcome back to episode, can you believe it, Josh? 73 of 73. the Have We Made It Yet podcast. I was about to say the Everything Everywhere podcast for a second, <laughs> but um, I, I legit can't believe it. Again, this is the podcast where two creatives, Sans guest today, talk about the process of making it. As always, my name is Lucas Ng, the actor portion of this podcast. And my name is Josh Young, the comedian portion of this podcast. I remembered this time to say my uh, given Chinese name because I, w- I was I've been saying for a little bit, like I got to change that, change my stage name for that pronunciation. Josh Young, the young to try and uh, change things up, you know, uh, but I've, I've slept a few times before, but now I got to write. Remember, remember that Josh Young, the comedian portion. Are, are you actually going to uh, tell like people who in- intro you up, like phonetically spell your name so that they'll say Young instead of Yang? I mean, at some point, yes, I should. Maybe, maybe I should uh, soon when, once I'm getting more into the uh, hang of doing more and more shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it'll be a process. It'll be a long, I think it'll take time. It'll take time either way. I hear you, man. And you hit the nail already, though. It is a process. Um, And like every episode that we've done for 70 plus episodes, Josh, I have to ask you the question. Josh, have you made it yet? I have not made it yet. Uh, 73 episodes in. Uh, You would expect that many episodes. Maybe we would have made it uh, at least closer. Maybe it's a little closer, but uh, nope. Not for me. I have not made it yet. Uh, just a little update. I guess this weekend I'm doing two shows, which is nice. A little bit more packed than before. Uh, Sunday is a bit bigger. I'm doing 15 minutes uh, nice. again. Uh, the only other time I did that was in Mexico, but I'm confident I can do 15 now. Uh, <laughs> so that'll be a good show to do in Toronto to try out uh, the 15 in a Toronto audience, a bigger audience, if anything. And uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. And then hopefully try to do more shows throughout uh, the summer. And then uh, I'm thinking of going back to Vancouver as well uh, in August for maybe three weeks, August to September for three weeks. So maybe we'll be able to do some shows there. And then maybe the podcast will finally reunite in person, Lucas. Can't wait, man see you in person with a camera in front of us we haven't done that since like last night wait what (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay well yeah and then officially on the podcast we haven't done that since the first five episodes two two almost two years and five months ago two years four months ago so yeah wow but uh yeah i'm looking forward to potentially that seeing seeing my buddy lucas as well you know Mm -hmm. co-host uh my other half of the screen of the have we made it yet podcast so yeah you know it's gonna be a good summer good summer or uh, i know i know i've seen your five minutes but you have another like 10 more minutes of, of new jokes and everything like that wow yeah I, when was the last time you saw me live um it was uh, it was at this bar along queen street yeah um, that was probably yeah. like last summer probably last summer. yeah 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 so like in Vancouver over last fall, winter, I did 10 minutes, which ended up being about 12 minutes when I uh, recorded it. And that was the first time I did that long before. And that mm-hmm. was like, 
I didn't know what to expect. I did some new jokes as well, but seeing the reaction to that and then how it felt to do 10 minutes, it felt very different to doing five and seven. Mm -hmm. Like it felt like I could slow things down a bit and uh, actually enjoy it, uh, the experience a bit more. Mm -hmm. And then 15 minutes as well. uh, It felt like, you know, I was able to get through all of my material at a, at a good pace of do jokes. Mm-hmm. So now I'm, I'm looking forward to trying it again um, in Toronto and uh, yeah, maybe hopefully you'll be able to see me do like 10 minutes or 15 minutes in, uh, in Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So unfortunately um, when you do your show at Clinton's, this episode will already be, sorry, your show will already been passed by the time this episode is released. Yeah. But like literally everyone follow Josh so that you know when his next shows are because this man is damn hilarious and every the world needs to know that. So slowly check out Josh. Slowly and steadily, one dozen viewers at a time. Yes, 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 yes. But anyways, enough about my mm. uh turtle crawl of uh making a process. But Lucas, hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exciting stuff. Have you made it yet? You know what, Josh? I may get a little introspective here, but no, I have not yet made it. But as everyone probably saw for like the last three episodes, if you do watch this on YouTube, which I hope you do, um, it's a new background, new surroundings, new city, new province and all that stuff. So yeah, I I have moved here and I'm currently in Vancouver, the, the place where I was basically raised my whole life before going to Toronto. And, um, it's, it's been a wild ride, man, just because I've never been busier than I've ever been. I've no, this is the busiest I've ever been in, in, in anywhere in in this part of my life. And, uh, on the acting front though, things have like progressed pretty, pretty well too. Um, yeah, like I, I got to hand it up to like Josh, you you and I are hustle just Uh because, um, I think, I think even Milton said it in last episode, he was like, you know, most people give up on a podcast in like 10, 20, maybe 30 episodes, mm. but like we are scratching at close to a hundred right now, close to a hundred, close true. to a hundred, almost to the last quarter. Once we hit 75, we're like, we're almost there. Mm-hmm. And as a result of this podcast, and it's also kind of intentional too, after my partner and I had decided that we were going to move back, I wanted to uh, meet some like Vancouver actors and producers and directors. And as a result, like, um, the thing that we built virtually here has now manifested itself physically. I was at Natasha Jung's documentary screening, which everyone should check out. Incredible yeah. documentary. Um, but she held a screening and some people are some of our former guests uh, were at that same screening. And although I've never met them physically in person or anything like that, they, they recognized me and they came up to me and said, Hey, Lucas, you know, like great yeah. to finally meet you. Wow. And yeah, like I, I do got to hand it up to like you and mine's and you're also yours is commitment too in this whole thing that what we made digitally is now manifesting itself physically. So it's, it's a big part in building this new community that I need to build in this new city. And I'm really grateful for that, that whole thing. Yeah. And it, when you told me about that the first time like that, that happened, I was like, wow, you know what? Some of our hard work over time has, you know, let born fruit just by being able to be you know kind of recognized and then also like have a certain 
type of uh, project that we can share when we're talking to people and then people can look at it and it's like, oh, I've heard of it. That's that's great. I mean, like, I don't even know what our realistic expectations of doing this podcast was. I think we just had an idea, you know, yeah. it seemed interesting. Maybe we could keep track of our experiences. And mm -hmm. then, um, yeah, just a mere fact that we have some guests and they are able to share it amongst the little artist community, be mm -hmm. able to get some, you know, name name recognition there is already like pretty helpful i yeah. think so great to hear that great to hear that yeah yeah and 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 what i find here in this new city is that you know as i'm sure you experienced when you first went to toronto it's it's consistently finding new facets of yourself mm -hmm. um you know I, i'm not sure how you were in vancouver josh because i don't think i met you in vancouver no but i I will assume that you are a much different person before you came to Toronto. Absolutely. I would say so because like even comedy mm -hmm. and that this whole element of it, I didn't see that as something that was like for me. Um, mm -hmm. I think initially my only concept of it was either like famous comedians that I knew, or occasionally I would go to the comedy mix downtown um, whenever there was like somebody I knew had free tickets or whatnot but uh, just the idea of doing an open mic I just didn't think it was made sense to me I was I lived yeah. out in Coquitlam it was far <laughs> from everything I just didn't hear about that many uh, open mics or stuff but in Toronto there were so many I would hear mm -hmm. it so many about so many different shows I heard about the class that I took yeah um, and it just felt like it was something more within grasp within reach to try and yeah, I just, if I didn't even realize how valuable it was an experience to me personally, mm -hmm. um, because I don't know, I feel like when I came to Toronto, uh, I was still stuck in a bit of like a living at home mentality, kind of right. like sheltered in my, in my thoughts or in, in my head kind of, but it, it required me leaving that environment and going to Toronto and going mm -hmm. on my own, trying different things in order to kind of get out of it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I feel really good about what uh, I've done so far. And mm -hmm. um, just a matter of really just maintaining the motivation yeah. to uh, keep hustling, keep going forward with it. I mean, it's been tough, of course, mm -hmm. uh, to keep that um, drive going, but yeah, uh, you just got to keep going, I guess. And, and you hit the nail too. It's that, it's that drive that, that is pushing you at the same time. And, and what I realized um, of course, you know, when, when I, when at least we both lived in Toronto, Josh and I both live in Toronto, he is still there. Um, what I thought was after reflecting back and I'm having time here is that it was solely my time in Toronto. Um, I didn't really have any other obligations other than my, uh, industrial obligations, my work obligations and, and, and friends, which we saw like close to every weekend and everything like that. But it was solely me time. I didn't have any other obligations other than the things I wanted to do. And as a result, you know, there's a lot of different roles that, that I had neglected in everything. So after moving back here, the reason why I say I'm the busiest I've ever been is that there were a lot of things that for a lack of a better term, I think I ran away from as mm. opposed, you know, after moving out here. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. F after moving out to Toronto and then arriving back, you know, I, I neglected the role of being like a son mm. for a lot. 
I neglected the role of being a brother. Right. I neglected the role of, of a, um, of, of being a good son-in-law. I neglected roles that, that are, you know, pretty common and I think assumed, but so much of that last 80 years that I was in Toronto, of course, was all about like industrial worth and, and how I can progress myself in acting and also work too. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things that I, that I put to the wayside that I now have to claim back because there's a lot of things that are missing and it's finding myself to be a whole lot more of a rounded person now. Not right. only am I an actor, I am also a son. I also have to be a good partner to my, to my, to my girlfriend and everything. I also have to make sure that, that with being a good son that my parents are okay. Cause I'm that much closer. There's no more excuse of, well, it's so far away. It's now like, this is what it takes for you to not only balance your familial life, but also your romantic life, but also your family life too. This is what it means to be a real human being now and making sure that I grapple yeah. through all that at the same time. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, um, to a certain degree, a little bit of that, that kind of like family connection was one of the reasons I kind of left Toronto because I had lived at home for so long that yeah. it, like, I felt like I was stuck in that environment and leaving it was necessary. And it's interesting for, for you that, that you've been away for a certain period of time now mm-hmm. that, you know, our priorities change and then yeah. what we want and what we value also change and adapt mm-hmm. at different stages of our lives. And just to be able to like recognize that it's like, you wanted to be closer to family and make that move. Uh, it's not an easy decision uh, to make, of course. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I see how you've uh, identified that as the right decision and like making it and like going through uh, all the potential ups and downs of it. It was still very important to you. So I commend you on being able to, you know, make that make that shift, you know, make that change and and really change your entire life from Toronto um, back to Vancouver and, and find that balance. So, and I'm not sure if like my dad had said this, I, I'm not sure if you, you will also agree, but I didn't want to posit this out to you because of mm-hmm. course you're in Toronto and you left from Vancouver and everything. Um, you know, like w- when I went back to the city, I'm like, you know, how can anyone afford to live in this city? It, it's so expensive, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like I grew resentful, like in the first like couple of weeks here. Yeah. Um, but then my dad said, it's like, you know, what if you had stayed for the, like the past eight years here in whatever career you wanted to be in, whether it be it, whether it be it acting or visual effects or, or whatever, even if you were like a real estate agent, yeah. how much more time and how much more growth would you have in this city? If you just would have stayed here for the past eight years, how much deeper would your connections have been? How mm. much easier would your, your shorthand would be with all your colleagues and and your community of like like like-minded workers how much deeper would that be right so as a result it's like yeah i am starting over i am starting over again for literally this the third time in my life again Mm -hmm. and i think that that comes with you know kind of excitement you know that kind of entrepreneurship uh spirit but that I, i am running into that same issue again where you know I'm starting from the bottom again and I need to build myself up in this at an age where I'm not young anymore. 
So that's also the terrifying part, but, but I want to get your input on this. It's like, just, are you willing to start over again? I mean, that's interesting. Cause I, I was listening to some other uh, podcasts recently, like one with uh, Fahim Anwar and Joe on Joe Rogan's podcast. Cause Fahim huh. Anwar recently put out a, a special on YouTube yeah. called uh, hat trick. Um, and it's based off of like the three rooms at the comedy store in LA. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like he mentioned how he's been in comedy for about 20 years now. And he seems like he's only like mid to late thirties, maybe. I don't, I mean, he's a relatively uh, younger uh, looking guy, but uh, he's, he said he's been in comedy for about 20 years. Yeah. Um, unless I'm getting that mixed up either way, a long time, but he's <laughs> like, but something they talked about was like, man, comedy is not a young man uh, sorry not old man's game because like trying to get into it at 40 or 50 it's like no there's there's so much of the grind and the the innate element of the environment of like needing to go do shows on the road doing Mm -hmm. um not making a lot of money in the beginning you're not really it's not stable at all but at the same time when it comes to building comedy and the craft of it like Mm -hmm. you still need to go through that in order to find your comedic voice and develop your experience and skill set that way yeah and it's something that's like too there's so many more obstacles to that if you're not if you don't have um kind of the youth or the freedom to to only focus about that and not and minimize your kind of overhead uh mm-hmm. whether it's family whether it's like um, a full-time job or, or stuff like that so it's like it, it does give me you know, some pause in my head as well. Cause I just turned 30. <sighs> I just turned 30. Uh, and that was kind of odd. Cause it's like, Oh, I thought I didn't expect the twenties to happen so quickly. I guess <laughs> the last four or five years, especially in Toronto is like, I moved yeah. to Toronto. It's like, Oh, I, I, I've just, I'm still trying to figure shit out with like jobs and stuff. And then last couple last year or year and a half or so I felt like, oh, with comedy, I feel like this is something mm-hmm. I can do. And then like getting my current job, I was like, oh, that's feels like a good step in the right direction in terms of like a kind of a tech jobs uh, yeah. opportunities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I just turned 30. And now it's like entering a different paradigm a little bit because then yeah. you're not 20 where you can semi afford to, you know, spend that time figuring things out. Yeah, yeah. So then at the same time, I'm wondering, you know, if I started, if I knew about comedy younger, mm-hmm. then it's like also with the pandemic missing a couple of years, like mm-hmm. being able to develop more material and then having a little bit more of a runway to start. Whereas now at 30 is like, maybe I'll be in Toronto for a couple more years. And then if I can find a job that allows me to move to New York, then it's like starting again in New York. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I'm still starting very early in comedy in Toronto. Mm-hmm. so you know th- that will probably happen like if i really wanted to go to new york and like live and work and potentially do comedy there mm-hmm. that will start i will have to you know restart it from the bottom yeah at an older age but mm-hmm. that's something i think i've accepted um, yeah yeah that's still relatively within um range but at the mm-hmm. same time it's like you know i i guess i'm more slow and steady but there's, I feel like there, I should have a bit more urgency in what I view as goals comedically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
So I guess for you, uh, one question I would have is like, now that you're restarting in Vancouver, albeit I feel like with more connections than like maybe when you started here in Toronto because of like a little bit of our podcast, but also now that you have experience, you can like tackle it a bit better. (laughs) I mean, like, do you feel like there is added pressure to now being in Vancouver with your with how you view maybe like how old you are or like at what stage you are. Absolutely. And, and I don't think it's, it's, I, I might've used the word like terrifying, but I, I like the word that you said, it was a sense of urgency. Hmm. Um, and, and, and I know like I've listened to enough acting podcasts in my life, you know, um, Sam Jones, uh, even Jeb Beach, a great acting coach in Vancouver, the audience experience podcast and never do they ever say that rushing makes everything better. Mm. Um, I am doing everything in my power to, to try to make it happen to, to the best of my ability. I'm probably missing things, but from what I know, if I'm given two options, I think I'm doing the best one that would further be in my path. Um, but but I think right now, if there's anything that has afforded me the ability to do what I'm doing, it's that sense of urgency. Um, once I came back to Vancouver after recovering from COVID and like moving in here and getting furniture, I went on a streak of just applying to different agencies. So yeah. within, within four days, I applied to close to 10 agencies. And from that list of 10 agencies, uh, four of them reached out back to me to want to prepare for meetings. And one of those four was on my list of like really ones that I wanted to go with. It was actually my number one choice. Oh, nice. And then um, in one agency, three agents wanted to meet with me, which, which really made me feel good because they don't know me. You know, yeah. I, I'm new to this city, right? Yeah. Again, starting over. And from that, uh, I started like paring down who I wanted to go with. Eventually, I went down to two and then about maybe like four weeks now ago, I signed with my number one choice of my agency. Mm-hmm. And I, again, if there's anything that you, that you think you're lacking, um, try to remedy that. But I think for anyone listening, uh, I think urgency always gives the best results just because yeah, you just yeah. got to get stuff done. So auditions have been coming in. I got a cool one for a yet to be released city TV show and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So we'll see where that happens. But Right now, Vancouver is on an incline in terms of productions that are happening Yeah, come June and July. So I'm expecting this one to be the busiest summer, juggling work, juggling family life, romantic life, and acting life at the same time. So mm-hmm. it's, I think I made the right decision in coming to Vancouver, but even if I didn't, I'm trying to make the very, very, very best of it because- yeah this is home and this is what I chose to do. So let's, let's make it happen. Absolutely, man. And I'm excited to, to see how you're going to hit the ground running uh, in the summer. You've already hit the ground running. I mean, you've, you found a a new agency. You're going to a little new agency with some more roots in Vancouver Mm -hmm. uh, and be able to kind of take that um, and move it forward. I mean, it, it is a lot of juggling. And I think that's part of the whole thing of making it. Mm-hmm. It's never really a straight line. No, um, You definitely need to figure out how you can tackle it. Um, 
to the best of your ability and and juggle yeah. everything everywhere all <laughs> at once oh is that, that a teaser for like episode 75 or well, yeah what a what a transition what a transition i just right in there seamless seamless uh, give me your take on it like just yeah i don't know how to throw it to you but just give me your take (laughs) on it well okay well uh i lucas and i talked about uh initially is like we should probably talk about this movie because this movie is uh it feels like it's a more of a watershed mode it's like the fruition of what crazy rich asians promised us Mm -hmm. in that Crazy Rich Asians kicked off this new wave of Asian like cinema, not just necessarily North America, but definitely mm-hmm. impacting North America quite a bit, but internationally as well. So just since Crazy Rich Asians first came out, I think it was 2018 or 2019. Like there's just been, it feels like every year there's been just a standout marquee uh, Asian centered film with a mainly asian cast there was like the farewell i yep. think that was 2019 2020 was like parasite mm-hmm. um 2021 was like shang chi and and um and then there was also uh, squid game was also huge internationally it's just a ton of ton of stuff so it just felt like things were going on an uptrend as more and more projects were coming in yeah and just to see how everything everywhere all at once uh it's it's like almost like a big budget like indie film that just captured word of mouth you know um recommendations just just buzz and heat and it's like what was initially a smaller release but because of how good it was how everybody who saw it was like crying or just loved the film it blew just blew their mind it got a wider release after it was initially released, which mm-hmm. is crazy because it's like rarely does any movie like that ever happen. Mm-hmm. And it's just to hear, see that that happened for this movie and like it's the subject matter of the movie and how it's focused on like the thing that really like encouraged me because I never saw Michelle Yeoh in that kind of role before where it was just a film centered on just her as the main lead and it's a middle-aged or like older asian woman mm-hmm. as the lead of the film and just that in and of itself was like you don't see that movie that often but the fact that it's also amazing and that yeah. it just blows people minds that's even more encouraging that mm-hmm. that will happen further in the future and and roles where it's not necessarily just a you know, straight white male as the, as the lead of a big movie. Um, mm-hmm. That's not the only type of typecast character that you can have lead a movie and make it amazing. So I think it's a watershed moment. Uh, I could talk endlessly about it. Lucas, what was your initial reaction as well? Incredible. Um, and I'm so happy that the Daniels did make it. Yes. Because man, uh, Oh, this can make me sound so dumb, but uh, Lake Keith Stanfield's uh, f- uh, older movie with the Daniels, uh, mm-hmm. sorry to interrupt you. Incredible. Mixed the absurd with social commentary with beauty at the same time. Oh. This movie, yeah. of course, like Asian representation, 
amazing. And I'm so happy that the character who played, uh, uh, sorry, the actor that played Waymond um, got his, got his comeback. Mm-hmm. Michelle Yeoh, incredible. Yeah. But that movie was obscene, grotesque, but beautiful at the same time. It combines so many facets yeah. of, of the, of the multiverse in terms of like past lives. Mm. And it was, it was grand in the same way, but it was incredibly grounded too. Yeah. The scene that, that still like that really shook me to this, to this moment was, I mean, spoiler alert right now, whoever hasn't watched it yet. Um, mm. do, do can we talk about like major plot points? I think we okay. can. I feel okay. like it, we just, we, as long as, I mean, if you're want to watch it with as little, you know, preamble as possible going in, I, thankfully I went in as well. Mm-hmm. Only think, only knowing it was good or hearing it was good, but I yeah. didn't know very many of the specifics. So going in as cold as possible, mm-hmm. even though it's super hot right now, is like the best experience. And like I watched, I managed to watch it IMAX. So if you can watch oh. it visually, just even of itself, visually, this is like spectacular uh, yeah. film to watch. So, um, um, but yeah, let's get let's get into it. Let's get into yeah. It. Like fast forward this this if you're watching on YouTube, just fast forward like maybe two minutes, but. The scene that still like gets me kind of choked up, and and I haven't had this kind of visceral reaction in a movie in a while, yeah. was um, when the daughter was about to go inside the bagel, and she was leaning back, um, but then Michelle Yeoh's character is like reaching for her. Of course, that that's a classic like save your daughter trope, mm-hmm. be- beautifully done still. But what really got to me still was her grandpa also holding on to Michelle Yeoh, and then. The father holding on to the grandpa and it really does show it is not just a story about a mother-daughter relationship it is about their clan together mm-hmm. and how it really does take a family unit to to really fight for each other yeah. and to really be there for each other because generational trauma does transcend generations that's why it's in the name and what she, the daughter was trying to do was to rid herself of that trauma because she didn't want to mm. pass it on. Right. But at the last moment, Michelle Yeoh's character was willing to be that bridge. So to stop whatever was going to transpire over her. Mm. And it doesn't, it's not just one person's job. It's the former generation's job. It's the grandpa's job, but also it's yeah. her, it's her dad's problem too. It's her dad also has a role in all this too. And I find that just, completely mind-blowing of course the visuals were incredible for an indie flick but just also the 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 major point that it's it's a family unit addressing generational trauma so that it won't transcend onto future generations yeah and the amazing thing about it as well like seeing the father and the grandfather come in it's like those are also not just surface level characters even though they were secondary characters like Mm -hmm. the father i felt like had so much depth added to his backstory because like he initially comes off as like oh mild-mannered you know husband Uh is like maybe a little timid is like easygoing and like when it comes to like coming from like an asian culture now being uh, transplanted into north american culture and seeing that like maybe timidness like that that kind of like um view of like that generation of Asian men is something like we can all recognize, especially as like kids growing up here as like, that was kind of almost the timidness was that was the predominant view of, you know, our, how our parents or like our uncles or, or whatever mm-hmm. 
were viewed. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it showed that element. But at the same time, it also put him in completely different elements where it's like it changed his persona. Like he when he mm-hmm. was like the center universe's like secret agent, it's like he was yeah fully con- like confident, in control, um, you know, martial arts, uh, badass and all of that. But all but one that was like very inspirational to mm-hmm. to see but then all the other different iterations as well you saw different versions of of that character and all the potential impacts of the decisions that you know those archetypal characters would make mm-hmm. it, it also i mean it's hard not to see your own parents in that yeah. especially for me it's like it's weird throughout it because it's not only is it michelle yo playing like chinese asian mom that you know just reminds me of like my mom and all like all Chinese Asian moms that you know immigrant mm-hmm. moms then Chinese Asian dad but then seeing that focus on their experience and all the things is like I don't think there was a better movie to represent my parents essentially mm-hmm. it's like it was watching my parents being the center of a movie yeah it was so trippy and just you know unbelievable to think about just a few years ago and mm-hmm. to see it it was it was definitely a really impactful moment and then there's so yeah. many themes like this movie feels like it could be endlessly studied mm-hmm. it could be like uh, really broken down in so many different ways so many people would have different connections to it like i would just hear constantly the one of the main things i hear from people like either through other podcasts or like people i know who have seen it is like they cried during it like i haven't heard of very many movies being able to make so many people feel so emotionally connected with it and cry. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't able to cry because I cry at other kind of things during movies, but like in terms of the catharsis of what I was watching, it definitely mm-hmm. rolled over me. But like, how yeah. did you feel about that emotionally? Did you cry at all? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it was that scene that, that, that I described when, when she was falling back into the bag. Oh, so that one, did you feel like tears, like the emotion welling up? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like just, yeah, it starts always up here and then goes uh, into yeah, the throat yeah. and all that Caught stuff. It, yeah. Um, but no, like uh, one line that always sticks out to me was when they are referencing, um, and also just how many references they had to so many different movies, like In the Mood for Love. Oh, right? yeah, that was like, great. Th- there, there was that great line by, by, is it Waymond or Raymond? I already forgot. <sighs> I I don't know. I I mean I wouldn't be surprised if Wayman is kind of like the uh, accented way of pronouncing it. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I I can't remember exactly. His character when he just said to Michelle, "Yo, it's like in any other lifetime, I'd still be happy doing taxes with you." Oh, that's a lot of people's favorite. I think I've heard yeah. that like quoted so many times. And it's oh, that mm-hmm. scene was so beautifully shot. And just yeah. to see those characters like they were all dressed up as well. It's just mm-hmm. see that's another view of like an Asian man in kind of like that kind of masculine um, setting that is yeah. also very different because it's not just, Oh, he's not just an archetypal. Oh, it's a masculine man, whatever. But this uh-huh. is coming from a character who was portrayed differently through other parts of the movie. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's been how they've handled so many different themes and then mm-hmm. the homages yeah. and the, the absurdity of, of the comedy and stuff it's just yeah it's hard to describe any other movie that's like it and it's consistently mm-hmm. being described by so many people as like the best movie they've seen in years if not the best movie they've seen ever yeah and 
dude, one of the best scenes or mo- not montages, but one of the best scenes in the movie was one that didn't even have any dialogue. Um, the two <laughs> yeah. rocks. Like, Amazing. I, I love that nihilistic. Well, it's not nihilistic, but it's um, what existentialism kind mm. of way of looking at things. It's like, yeah, we're big fucking rocks, man. Yeah. Like, what, what can you do? We're a blip in the universe. Yeah. So I've, I've always loved movies that talk about like the human condition and how we are literally everything but nothing at the same time. And trying to reconcile that difference because when you live a life of nothingness, it drags down on you and you don't want to live. But what are you finding meaning and meaninglessness? And Mm. that's what I thought really handled that topic well. It's they handled so many themes so poignantly and tonally, Mm -hmm. like like connected, but at the same time, it was never it then feels like too much. They no. they handled it beautifully with different comedy elements, yeah, uh, absurdity. Um, and it it all blended so well with just the plot and the logic of the universe as well. Mm-hmm. It's it blows my mind is to think is like they made a multiversal movie that might actually be the single greatest you know, attempt at integrating that kind of storyline. Yeah. At the same time, when Marvel was also releasing uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, which has this huge, all-encompassing mm-hmm. scale of, of a multiverse through multiple mm-hmm. different IPs and stories. Yeah. But at the same time, when I watched that, the multiverse was was nothing but a setting. Yeah. That was yeah, it. Yeah. it was just mm-hmm. a setting that characters went through. It didn't actually impact any of the characters motivations or decisions mm-hmm. or there wasn't really any kind of madness it was just a vehicle for the plot to move on whereas this f- it felt like the multiversal element was integrated in the experience mm-hmm. whereas like you're not thinking about the fact that there's so many different versions you're thinking about how each version is a decision that yeah. each person makes and everybody can make that connection where it's like if i did this right if i did this wrong if i made this decision or did not make decision it's like what is the sum total of our decisions impacting how we view our current lives and who we are like right now it's just it's so amazing Mm -hmm. dude there is uh there's this one instagram account that i follow called like film moment and uh they just had stills of all the not all of course because it went by so fast but all the different michelle yos yes there are yeah and of course like when it when it Comes, comes at you so fast you you don't catch many of them but like just the amount of effort they had to put in for these like literally millisecond uh montage yeah. like there was one of her being an alien there was one of her like being a, a male prisoner yeah but it's just like the amount of effort involved in making these small montages hmm. just adds great detail in terms of its production it was just a beautiful movie it's it's hard to fathom the production level because it's at the same time, when it's the visuals, the scale, the action, the execution of the, how it was shot, it was all so well shot and well well executed that it feels big budget. But mm-hmm. at the same time, they still kept a quality of an indie film, like a, mm-hmm. almost like an indie aesthetic because of like how the bagel cult people like they looked is like it didn't seem like they were extravagant costumes seem like they were like kind of basic almost like diy costumes yeah but it still got the point across and then i love i love the um whenever they switch to like the the main dark uh timeline 
agents mm. and they're like traveling mm. in the van or like the <laughs> grandpa on his like scooter or whatever yeah that yeah. look like such like film school almost <laughs> yeah budget level like costumes like it's a it's a colander on your head with like you know duct tape and a bunch of like random tubings household yeah. appliances that you find <laughs> but it's like it's done with such seriousness and like mm-hmm. you know executed so well that it was like it mm-hmm. maintained that diy aesthetic but at yeah the, still as part of this so it's like it elevated it because it also was absurd in how it mm-hmm. looked but then it with all the other absurdity and then when they needed to be like very pristine and like um they could do that as well it was just it it was almost like a whole film about directors not knowing the meaning of taking of not taking a risk like everything mm-hmm. just felt like he's like let's just go for it yeah this is a great idea let's do it there's not we're not going to hold ourselves back mm-hmm. um it was yeah it was great like what do you think about um like right now we've got you know great word of mouth for mm-hmm. it it's being talked about everywhere anybody that sees it like they just get they cannot endlessly I, i've seen so many different you know avenues like different like twitch people comedians on um uh on their podcast is constantly talking about it. other people just like within their family friend group and stuff mm-hmm. i think that if this isn't the best picture at the academy awards or it doesn't win almost every award out there then it, then it's like what what is what could be better you know I mean, I think Scorsese is releasing something this year. Is he, what is he releasing? <laughs> I, I don't know. Probably some smaller one. Maybe he's only producing it. But absolutely. I, I really hope it does win uh, all the accolades. But even if it doesn't, which to be honest, it's like Hereditary was one of my favorite movies back in 2019. Mm-hmm. And, and that didn't win anything. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think this movie if anything, will be talked a lot more than, say, previous uh, Best Picture winners, such as The Artist. Absolutely. In, in terms of, like, cultural rel- relevancy at the moment and also its timelessness now, to be honest, yeah. I think it will be a pretty timeless, oh. or at least a, like what you said, a, a, a watershed moment. Mm-hmm. Um, if it wins awards, great. But even if it doesn't, this movie was incredibly special, and it does deserve whatever release or nationwide release it gets. Yeah, and I want to take my folks there to watch it too. That I would never recommend that for any Best Picture nominees, but yeah, when I want to take them, uh, it does feel like it could be something that like my parents could watch and could kind of understand because it's like it's pretty much their story on the screen, and oh, that would be kind of yeah, that would be interesting to to broach that subject to convince them to go watch it. Yeah, um, but then also it's like a lot of it is in Mandarin as well. Like it's Mm -hmm. not an attempt to just stick to English, but it was like very uh, true to kind of the environment that it's in. Mm -hmm. Um, And just thinking about how so many people have made a connection with it. And just Michelle Yeoh is like, she's such an OG of not just like Hollywood cinema, Mm -hmm. but also like international cinema. She's like worked Mm -hmm. in Hong Kong for like decades before any uh, broad international acclaim. Yeah, my this is my guess. Like technically and visually, they'll probably get a bunch of nominations as well. Yeah, my prediction is best picture. They ha- definitely gonna uh, get nominated. Definitely, if not, they, if uh-huh. not they they should win it outright. Okay. Uh, I think Michelle Yeoh will get best actress nomination. I think she should win it as well. 
because okay. of like the range through which this film required her character go through. Yeah, yeah. I'm unbelievable. So mm-hmm. just the fact that she's able to pull it off. So all the action, all the sentimentality, everything. Mm-hmm. And I think the father should get a best supporting actor as well. I think their their combination is really is is really what holds uh, the film together. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think that's my big guess for all. And director wise, oh yeah, the 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 Daniel should definitely get best director noms for it as well. Because like execution wise, bring everything together. And if they don't, then it's like it's a travesty. It is a crime against art, art really. Because mm-hmm. if you think about how impactful the Parasite was. And this mm-hmm. is like a foreign film, and then, but it was like recognized for how good it was, and it won all the awards. This mm-hmm. one, I think, is is gonna blow it out of the out of the water. That's me knocking on wood, man. I, I hope so me, too. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, should we go into uh, Would You Rather? I mean, we could do it. We could do Would You Rather. We're yeah, we're coming about forty five ish minutes. I think we could. Do, do that and end off and then we did worse basically under an hour i know we keep saying we should do a shorter one 35 baby 35 <laughs> the, is it 35 plus 20 this is bonus we're in bonus time yeah 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 but yeah like i'm down to do it nice nice um th- did you want to throw yours out or, yeah, or i can say mine first i'll throw because i feel like i've been talking that last little bit oh, okay um, okay but yeah okay i'll throw you mine i've thought about this would you rather have extremely high IQ but low EQ or would you rather have extremely high EQ but low IQ um huh I I would uh I don't know why I'm really trying to like not think like this but like my my initial reaction is always like what would make me more money Mm. um but no it's like money is money you'll get money um i would probably go with more eq Mm. uh, and low iq because there's nothing more adorable than a lovable idiot yeah (laughs) um, because i i kind of agree because like a lovable idiot who has like high emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. is is just going to be like fun to be around and like you just want them around you because they're always a good time they're very um like probably just open to even talking to talking to you connecting with you on a level that sure maybe intellectually is not the same but is like still you know doesn't make you feel like you know yeah anybody's more intellectual than any other or it doesn't make anybody feel like they're better than the other person. That's why I would view it. Yeah. And, and I know it's becoming more and more of a cliche, but they always do say it's, um, you know, the lasting impression that you leave on a person is never how you, uh, never how you uh, gave them gifts or anything. It's always mm-hmm. about how you made them feel at the very end. And if you yeah. can make a, fe- make a person feel welcomed and, 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 and just overall um, warmth and love, then by all means, man, like do that because, that's how, that's how you build a community. It really is. Yeah. And yeah. I, f- I feel like somebody with high EQ or and like low IQ, whatever, I feel like e- even then they'll probably get ahead, further ahead than somebody with high IQ and low EQ. Yeah. Because like I've read like, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers and there's like some talks in there about um, 
intelligence or highly intellectual people. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Mount, Mount Malcolm Gladwell's outliers. I'm not too sure, but it was like there was this reference to one guy who was like highest IQ ever recorded, or like so high, much higher than Albert Einstein. But he just ended up the guy was just like working um, in a small town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you would have no idea that he was actually super smart, but because like his intelligence kind of hamstringed him a little bit with like a little bit of like pride or like, mm-hmm. you know, um, self, self-importance or like just the intelligence is like, so either so logical or so whatever, mm-hmm. it's just sometimes that can hamstring your ability to recognize like what is kind of valuable in social interaction or being able to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I think I would agree with you as well. It's like, I would rather have high EQ uh, than high IQ. Yeah. Because like, you could be the smartest person in the world, but if you're a dick, it's yeah. a lonely, it's a lonely existence. Yeah. There, there's yeah. this guy that uh, Ricky Gervais is like partner. He was a bald guy, mm. but uh, I'm not sure if you know his name. I forgot his name too, but he was just... uh, Carl. Carl. Yeah. Pilkering Pilkerton. Yeah. 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 Yeah funniest guy in the world and uh, apparently like none of it is scripted it's all natural but it's just <laughs> like the way he asks questions it's just so endearing and it's i, w- I want to be around that person man it just seems like a really great time yeah 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 and it's like it's interesting those type of people is like it's not it's almost like a combination of i don't know because it's not necessarily eq it's almost a certain amount of just like lack of ego where it's like you just they just ask questions or just very blunt and straightforward but Mm -hmm. not in a way where it's like even if it's potentially offending anybody it's not in a way where it's like it's coming from a place of malice it's like genuine like oh that's just the actual you know question that's just the way they think there's like no actual nefariousness behind it Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah those people also it's it all ends up just coming off as like charisma or you know, that kind of like confidence, which is, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. To cap it off for me. Okay. We, we somewhat talked about it, but yeah, this is mine. Would you rather make it as a comedian, but eventually have a bad relationship with your parents or the opposite, maintain a good relationship with your parents, even better than, than it is right now, mm. but never ever make it as a comedian that's kind of interesting because i feel like the way i grew up like i don't think i talked so much um or connected so much uh (laughs) with my parents so my experience there isn't like i think my sister like talks and connects with them a bit more it's like that's Mm. probably because like she's she's also like a little younger different stages of of like my parents lives but Mm -hmm. i don't know i feel like i don't think i have super you know talking about everything type of relationship with my parents Mm -hmm. um and and i probably when i'm in toronto now it's like a little bit less interaction Mm -hmm. than i would have before so that's like a kind of a tough question like ideally long term i would like to have a better relationship with them Mm -hmm. um but granted, I feel like right now at my current, you know, where I where I'm at, it's a little tougher to even maintain that, anyways. <laughs> so I feel like I I would answer that differently at different stages of my life, probably. Um, nice. 
maybe like what I know overall long-term for like what would be good for everybody, I think would be to have a better, uh, you know, relationship with my parents and in that element. Um, yeah. And then the, I guess the comedy thing, would I rather be a comedian than, than absolutely no relationship with the parents? Mm-hmm. Mm. No, I feel like I, I guess I think I would probably still choose the better relationship with your parents because really? they're still, because yeah, because like I can't say it's like, oh, I'll just go comedy and like just cut everything off now because that's mm-hmm. like, that's like maybe if you, that just cuts off the hope of it. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe in the end, it's like, when I start a family as well, I would ideally like to have the connection between the generations be there. So I think that's what I would ultimately rather have. You just don't want it enough. I just, oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding I'm kidding. Ooh, you, you've, you've brought it back to perspective. Maybe I really, that just, that, that's, that's the question you ask like people who make it or don't make it. It's like, yeah, the ones that make it. What did it ones- cost? Yeah, are the ones that everything. really sacrificed everything. Yeah. Thanos, man, he said it right. What did it cost? Everything. Everything. Everywhere. All at once. <laughs> That's our end. That's uh, our Josh, end. where can people find you, man? Uh, at Josh Yang. Josh Young. Comedy. Y-A-N-G. Comedy. Yeah. Uh, across all social media. And then also, yeah, you can listen to Sleep With Josh podcast, but I haven't put anything out in a long time. Oh. So I don't know why you, you know, don't at me. Um, (laughs) And, um, but yeah, other than that, keep watching this podcast, go watch everything everywhere all at once. And Lucas, what are your handles? Uh, Everyone can find me across social media at Lucas John Ng. Again, that last name is just two letters. N for Nancy, G for golf. Um, Yeah. Like follow me because things are happening and um and and i want you along there for the ride josh and everyone else there too uh if you yeah if you like what you see in here follow us at hwmiy podcast on spotify google play apple podcast we're also on youtube so come follow us there too awesome josh applause to you Oh, applause to you, my friend, for handling last week, by the way. Good job. That was a great episode. Even like, I apologize. I apologize for not being there. Something came up at work. But you know what? Hey, you handled it magnificently. Uh, I could not I could not trust another person with with this podcast, knowing that we can we can take punches and and anything that comes our way. So great job. Thanks, brother. Thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Will. Uh, I, was to, I was about to call him Wilton, but no, Milton. Milton. Thanks for being a good guest on that one, man. Absolutely. All right. We'll see you all in two weeks' time. Peace out. Peace.